Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. And today, we have an absolutely incredible guest. The gentleman's name is Electro Boy. Now, that is not his given name. That is the really? name. Really? It's not. You told I, me it was. I, I know. I, I asked his mother on Facebook, and she said that he was born Andy Berman. So there's a little bit of that history. That is true. That is true. But <laughs> I sometimes that was people forget idea. that, and sometimes I forget that. What's amazing, though, is I met Andy under the moniker Electro Boy on Facebook a, a few years ago when I was but a, a young mental health advocate in, in the bipolar space, and Andy and I met up via social media. Uh, and Andy befriended me and taught me the ropes and he taught me what a one sheet was. I didn't even know when I got started that I needed one. And Andy was like, wow, you are really, really far behind. But we became friends. We learned a lot from each other. I have learned an immense amount from him and I am so glad to have him on the show. So Andy, say hello. Hello. Is that, <laughs> is that all I have to do? This that, is, this, you this is so easy. Hello. <laughs> and th- thanks to you guys for having me on your show and uh, I hope I can shed some light on things that normally are not discussed or that I have not discussed because I've been talking about mental health and specifically bipolar disorder for 15 years. Well, that's, that's actually our first question right there. 15 years ago, a, a bright-eyed Andy Berman came onto the scene. You, you wrote a New York Times bestseller, a great book by the name Electro Boy, and that was, that was over 15 years ago. What have you seen change in, in mental health advocacy in the last 15 years? Has it gotten better? I mean, well, first the... of all, I was not so bright-eyed when the book came out. <laughs> I was really just getting well. But when Electro Boy was published in 2002 by Random House, there were very few memoirs about mental health. Very, very few. I mean, probably four or five. It was not a crowded genre at all. And most importantly, men were not writing about uh, their experiences with mental illness, and they were not talking about it. In fact, when I was diagnosed, I asked my doctor, because I researched everything I could, is bipolar disorder a woman's illness? Because I couldn't find anything written by a male. Wow. So in answer to your question, in 15 years, I think we've come a long way. I think we have a very long way to go, but we are discussing mental illness and bipolar so much more openly than we were you know, back in 2002. Mental illness is less of a, a stigmatized thing these days. I think you'd agree. However, Andy, I, I know that you're not too crazy about the term stigma. Is that right? Well, I, I don't agree that, I, I mean, I don't agree that it's so much less stigmatized. I mean, in some communities, it's less stigmatized. Very true. But for example, African-American males, uh, Asian males, I mean, it, it is still a very stigmatized illness. Mental illness is stigmatized, not just bipolar disorder. So that's one. And, and even among, amongst males, men are not running out for treatment. I mean, they don't openly speak about suffering. Uh, 
whether it's somebody with PTSD or bipolar or depression. I mean, you know, perhaps they're telling a best friend, but they still may be holding off from telling their family member. And, you know, you just said that I'm not a huge fan of the word stigma. You know, probably 12, 13 years ago, I wrote a piece called Dump the Stigma and Focus on Recovery. And I, I started using the word a lot. And I, I realized after a while, the word stigma kind of was stigmatic in its own way. And it, it became the main focus of what people in the mental health field were focused on when I thought that there were so many other issues. Uh, and I still do today. Access to quality care, access to affordable care, access to any kind of care. I know that stigma, which I also refer to as discrimination, because, hey, I've dealt with it, you know, for years and years and years. You know, people have said, oh, you're the guy who wrote Electro Boy. You're the crazy one. You're the lunatic. You're the psycho. Yeah, it doesn't feel great to hear that. You know, I, I take it, you know, I take it in stride and I, I laugh it off. But I also tell people, you know, hey, if I had diabetes, if I had a heart condition, you'd be pretty supportive of me. I'm sure exactly. you would be. Exactly. Exactly. Gabe and I have said that to each other a lot over the years. Now, earlier you, you pointed out that 15 years ago, there were a lot fewer memoirs than they are today, and, and especially from men. What made you different? Yeah, why'd you write the book? Why'd I write the book? I wrote the book because for probably 10 to 12 years, I really suffered. I was, I saw nine different psychiatrists, eight different therapists, tried 45 different medications, was on 14 at one time, had ECT treatment, every alternative treatment I could find. And I figured, God, you know, I've been through it all. I kind of feel like I'm a professional patient, but I still haven't read anything that recounts you know, the suffering. And I really wanted to chronicle my battle with bipolar disorder. But at the same time, in all fairness, I never thought Electro Boy was a self-help book. I just thought it was my story. And curiously, it ended up, you know, I'd say 80% of people who bought it either suffered with bipolar disorder or had family members or friends who suffered with it. So oddly, I mean, I was just shocked that it became a self-help book and it's still regarded as a self-help book and i still find that odd but because it was just my story i didn't realize that my story was one of suffering with mental illness probably you know from the age of five or six you know until i was almost 40 years old andy now the electro boy which is the title of the book and of course your your nickname comes because you you had ect treatments as part of your therapy. Can, can you explain Correct. who gave you the nickname Electro Boy? Yes, I had, a, uh, I had a nurse at the hospital where I had electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, or electroshock, or as the Brits call it, electric shock. And uh, when I was finished with the treatment and I woke up in uh, recovery, she helped me off the gurney and she said, come with me, Electro Boy. So... <laughs> That's who gave me the nickname. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. So we're going to go ahead and go to break real quick. But when we come back, Andy, I want to talk to you about 
you being interviewed by Stephen Fry, because frankly, I think that's one of the coolest things that you've ever done. So we'll okay. be back in a moment. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. Hey, fans of the Psych Central Show podcast. We are currently surveying our listeners to learn more about you and to learn what we can do better. Please take a few minutes and visit our website at psychcentral.com show and click on listener survey link found on that page. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Andy Berman, a.k.a. Electro Boy. And just before the break, he was telling us how he got that nickname, and it was due to the electroconvulsive therapy treatments that he had over the years. Andy, one of the things that you hear a lot about ECT is that it comes with memory loss on occasion. Did you ever have any issues with that? Sure. I say it comes with memory loss 100% of the time. Okay. Memory loss and cognitive impairment. I've never met a patient who has not suffered uh, some type of memory loss, short-term, short long-term, or cognitive impairment meaning, in my case, not being able to dial the telephone, use the remote control, just to figure out how basic things work. It comes back, but, you know, I, in all fairness, I have to tell you that my own doctor said to me, don't worry about memory loss or any kind of cognitive loss because it's not going to happen. And that was not true. And I was pretty upfront with him after that. I've interviewed plenty of people and you are wrong. <laughs> so, what's your overall opinion of ECT now? I mean, do you if if somebody were to ask? Uh, you, I mean, I'm not pro ECT. I'm not anti ECT. I can only say that it was a it was a last ditch effort to try to stop my mania and the pretty intense dark lows that I experienced, and it did work for me. But I also had 19 rounds of ECT which was many, you know, it was more than I had ever planned on. I thought I'd probably have about six. You know, at this point, I wish I had known more about it before I did it. But at the same time, it worked for me. It seems to work for people, elderly patients pretty well, who can't wait for different medications to work. But if you can handle some memory loss, it's not terrible. It's not barbaric. I mean, I'd rather have ECT than have a tooth pulled. But, you know, people may argue with me about that. And it the, wasn't forced. So That's very important. So, Andy, here's the tough question. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. From From this vantage point today, if you could get in a time machine, go all the way back to Andy before he had ECT, would you do it again? Would you warn yes. yourself? Yes, I would do it again. Okay, so let's talk about Stephen Fry. Uh, Stephen yeah. Fry is a British actor. He does a lot of uh, work in in America as well. He also lives with bipolar disorder. And Andy, you got to meet him. What was it like? Well, I, I, I have no idea how I got to meet him. Uh, I think when Electro Boy was published a year later in the UK, the BBC got a hold of uh, a copy and his producer was doing, he was doing his big documentary called The Secret Life of a Manic Depressive. And he came to the US and he interviewed Richard Dreyfus. And then he wanted to 
interview me, which I found very surprising. And I'll be honest, I had only seen Stephen Fry a few times on TV before. I didn't know that he was such a huge deal. This was about 15 years ago, 14 years ago. You know, and he just came knocking on my door and we spent the day together, you know, a little bit at my house, drove around Los Angeles quite a bit. And we talked about bipolar disorder, both of us having bipolar disorder, my uh, ECT, and uh, what I was doing with Electro Boy. But it was fascinating meeting this larger-than-life character, you know, just amazing. Very cool. So obviously your favorite interview ever is this one. This, is, this, is, <laughs> this of course, is my favorite interview, yes. And you are also a guest on Mental Illness Happy Hour, another guest of, of this show. You, you oh, right, Paul Gilmartin. Over there. Yep, mm-hmm. that was really cool. What was your favorite interview? I mean, because in, in, in many ways, you are, and I love this, I'm getting excited just saying it, you're a bipolar rock star. And you've got to do oh, some really, really thank cool you. Things. I mean, that's, that's kind of a blessing and a curse. I mean, uh, from my favorite Europe. interview? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, God, I guess I'm supposed to have an answer for what my favorite interview was. You know, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't. Well, we'll just um, pretend that it's this one, and, and you, just, you just leave me alone in my grandiosity. Uh, that's, that's where people with bipolar... This is it. This is it. This is it. We're doing the bipolar buddy thing. So let's, get, let's, let's talk about... You, you have a lot of mental health advocacy experience, and you, you have some interesting ideas on, on funding for self-help groups, for... Well, no, it's, just, it's, it's an issue that's come up you know, you know, I've been speaking a lot and I, I travel a lot and I speak at self-help groups across the country, whether they're NAMI groups, DBSA groups, all different kinds of groups, college groups, support groups on college campuses. And what I've seen when I've traveled is that some of these groups have absolutely no funding. In fact, they pay fees to, be, to, to belong to national groups. So if they meet once a month, and they have to pay $100 to meet in a recreational hall or a VFW hall or a you know, community room. So they're not budgeted for that at all. Right. Well, plus they, have, plus they have expenses too. I mean, if they want to serve just a little bit of food, plus they may have literature, plus they may have transportation. I mean, they need budgets. They have absolutely no budgets. So what they're doing is you know, they're raising money. I mean, you probably know this. They're, you know, they're selling Yankee candles door to door. They're having bake sales. And, you know, it's just an extra strain on them. So what I'm planning on doing is traveling to 30 cities in six months. And what I'm going to do is I'll speak at, you know, one or two support groups. They can charge whatever they want to have people come hear me. If 100 people come, uh, they can charge $10 and make $1,000. I will also sell copies of my book and donate proceeds of the sale of my book there, but I will not charge these groups to speak at all. So it's something people have asked me to do all the time, and I've done tons and tons of time. They've just said, can you speak pro bono so we can raise money for our group? But this time I'm going to do it in a massive way, in a tour across the country, and try to do it 30 times in six months. So I'll be announcing that online in probably the next two or three weeks. Excellent. That sounds, uh, sounds like a great approach, Andy. That's, I that's wish incredible. you luck with that. 
do you, do you have a sponsor for this? I mean, 30 cities in, in six months, that's, that's, I will have sponsors for this. Uh, Some of the money will come from private foundations. Some of the money will come from a GoFundMe campaign, but I'll have enough money to go to 30 cities without any of the self-help groups having to pay airfare, hotel, or meals. So they'll have to pay me nothing, but they'll keep all the proceeds from what they raise and they'll keep the proceeds from the sale of my book or whatever merchandise I sell. That is incredible. Right, which means, which means a group in Philadelphia or a group in Austin, Texas, or a group in Portland could potentially make, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, which is more than what they need to function for the year. Of course, yeah. And, and I hope that you will add Columbus, Ohio, and Sacramento, California to the list. Sacramento, California is on the list. But, you know, awesome. isn't that funny? Columbus was not on the list. Now I have to put it on the list. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio is where the second biggest bipolar celebrity rock star lives, being me. Oh, my God. That's a reason <laughs> to show up. Okay. And when I say biggest, I mean because I weigh 300 pounds, not, not because I've reached a level of fame that would uh, allow me to be large. But yeah, you would have to come. I'll share the stage with you. And I will also do it for free as, as long as it's... Okay, perfect. And you will not... <laughs> so we, Columbus, but not Cleveland. No, I've been to Cleveland, but I've never been to Columbus. Okay. Oh, Columbus, Ohio is an, in, is, is an incredible place. And I'll tell you what, to save you money, you can sleep in my guest room. Okay, perfect. I'm there. Okay. Now, now, I haven't cleared this with my wife or my dog, but I think we should be okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I think Get back okay to me on that. So, uh, so let's, uh, let, let's spin this back around. You know, th- this, is a, this is a heck of a career over 15 years. You've done a lot of good for a lot of people. You've, you've written, obviously, the book, but you've written a ton of articles. You've interviewed a bunch of people. You've seen a lot, uh, good, bad, and in between. To end the show, to, to sort of take us out on a high, what has been your, your favorite experience as far as helping a lot of people, like I can speak for myself, you know, when I was diagnosed, you were, you're right. You were one of the only males that were out there uh, for me to think, Oh wow, he's done some of the same things that I've done. You know, you had the hypersexuality. Maybe you the depression. I guess I'd say, you know, I remember speaking at university of California at Santa Barbara to a very large audience, like a thousand students. And it was a particularly energetic speech and crowd. And I remember getting a phone call the next day from the Dean of Students telling me, you know what, you really got through to a lot of kids. And we had six kids come to us who we immediately put into therapy, who had never been into therapy before, and who have opted to take a break this semester and, you know, take a leave, take a leave of absence, because they're really under, you know, they're really suffering and they weren't even aware how badly they were suffering until they heard you speak yesterday. And it may not have been exactly the next day. It may have been well, you sure. know, two days later, <laughs> but I just thought, wow, six kids who potentially, you know, could really have been in trouble and had never heard anyone tell their personal story decided it was important enough to get help. I mean, that was a big one. I just thought that is reaching six kids was amazing. That's fantastic. That's huge. So, so real quick, 30 seconds or less, what's next? What's next is a sequel to Electro Boy, which starts off uh, where uh, Electro Boy ends and moves me all the way from New York to Los Angeles, where subsequently I got married, had two kids, 
got divorced. There was some stress there. And uh, I think it's important to write about that kind of stress and the stress that comes with being bipolar when you have to go through those things. And uh, hopefully soon I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about a feature film version of Electro Boy and this tour that I mentioned. So I hope to be busy and I hope to be writing. It's going to be a heck of a year. Now, uh, we want to disclose to the audience that Andy and I have a $10 bet that this will be the number one downloaded show of all of the Psych Central Show podcast episodes. So one of us is getting $10. One of us. <laughs> one okay. of us is getting $10. So we'll see what happens. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Andy, for being on the show. It is always a pleasure. Thank you both, Gabe you and Vincent. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.